Hello and welcome to ABC Gotham, your New York City history podcast with me, Kathleen, and my co-host, Kate. Hi, everybody. You are here listening to episode M, and folks, it is going to be a big one. I, frankly, Kate, I don't know if we're podcasters enough to handle this topic. I'm a little intimidated, so I hope everyone is sitting back, relaxing, Mm -hmm. and just ready for... This this podcast is going to hit you in the face and kick you on the ground and ram a expressway through your neighborhood because the letter M is Robert Moses. Welcome to part one of our two-part podcast of episode M. Yeah, we touched on him briefly in the last, um, our last, if you listen to our last episode on Fiorella mm-hmm, LaGuardia, mm-hmm. we just briefly touched on him because we knew we'd be bringing him up a lot in this episode. Yeah, and we just want to let you guys know in advance that if you need to pause this for <laughs> any reason and, you know, eat the, you know, take this in small bits, that's, that's totally, we totally expect it. Because it took us a long time to do this research. There's a lot of it. And and there's there's so much fascinating information, so much great stuff to tell you, and we want to tell you all of it. Well, to give you an idea of Robert Moses, um, I think a lot of people don't really know who he is. I mean, for a long time, I just knew him as there's a beach named after him. There's a park, yeah. Yeah, there's he's got a few parks, and he's got a bunch, you know, you just see his name around the city, and, you know, he's kind of tied in with the public works department, public parks system but he's like he's like one of those names that's on some buildings it's like LaGuardia or or Rockefeller or any of the other you know I I know they did something in New York okay moving on with my normal life right but he influenced your normal life in ways you couldn't even imagine the city looks the way it does now because of Robert Moses we wouldn't have these strange highways cutting through neighborhoods But we also wouldn't have a lot of the parks we have now, so it's kind of a give and take on what's good and what's really awful for the city. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And just like the man himself, there's a lot of good, but there's so much corruption and evil. I hate to say evil, Mm -hmm. but, you know, he's he's not really a good person. I'm going to tell you right from the outset, at least on the part of this podcaster, I, I cannot speak for Kate, but for myself... I, I will not be giving you an unbiased view of this man. I just can't. I wish I could. He did some good things, but the cost was absolutely not worth it in my mind. And we will, and I can try to justify that for myself. And I welcome comments to the opposite, especially from you, Mr. Robert Moses. But he's dead, so he's he won't. Dead. But um, yeah, I'm going to. I There are people who said Robert Moses got things done. Robert Moses got stuff built, which is not incorrect. Yeah, he's the man that got things done. But the implication of that statement is that the ends justified the means, and I absolutely do not, do not agree with that. And to to people who would say Robert Moses got stuff done, I would say Robert Moses got stuff done the way dynamite gets stuff done. True. I'm going to try to bring you... I'm definitely... Before we started this podcast, I was... Definitely not on the side of Robert Moses, but mm-hmm. I'm going to try to bring you a bit of the other side, but I, I am not, I'm definitely not coming off on his side. He's racist. He's classist. You know, it's just mm-hmm. amazing. But what, 
he's, it's an amazing, like, what he was able to get done and the jobs that he did bring to the city and the money he brought to the city. But how he managed that money and how he gave out those jobs is... Is a model of corruption. Exactly. It's really, it's, I, I feel as though all public officials should learn about Robert Moses and strive to do the opposite. Yes. If that's possible. I don't know if that's possible. So, okay. So of your two podcasters today, Kate will be uh, closer along the line to the responsible journalist than I will. But <laughs> honestly, we're the amateur New York City history podcast. Sit back and enjoy. As I was saying, you can't look around the city and not see monuments that Robert Moses kind of built to himself. Mm -hmm. Uh, the Throgsneck Bridge, Bronx, which has come up in a previous podcast, the Bronx mm -hmm. Whitestone, the Henry Hudson, the BQE, which I hate. The, uh, the Brooklyn Queens Expressway for, for non-New Yorkers or people who are from New York who've managed to block out the nightmare that is the BQE. Staten Island Expressway, Cross Bronx Expressway, Belt Parkway, Laurelton Expressway. The Major Deegan Expressway, the Van Wick, the Sheridan, the Bruckner. Goannis, Prospect Expressway. Every, pretty much every bridge. The Battery Tunnel is somewhat associated with him, even though he hated the idea that it was going to be a tunnel. He hated tunnels. Yeah. More. We will get into that later. Yeah. He built the LIE, the Long Island Expressway. Also, I understand kind of nightmarish at times, like Memorial Day weekend. Definitely a disaster almost every day of the week. Okay. I don't think he actually could drive. He had his... He didn't have a driver's license, but he could drive, but he didn't drive. He had a chauffeur his whole life. Isn't that funny? That's pretty funny. All this stuff for cars, and he wasn't a driver. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He built the Harlem River Drive. He built the West Side Highway, which I'm not going to lie, I'm a fan of. I'm, um, I'm a fan of the bike path on the West Side Highway. But that wasn't him. That was not him. <laughs> no. He built the Triborough Bridge, which I am definitely not a fan of. And... I, you know, it has recently been renamed the Robert F. Kennedy Memorial Bridge. Which I will continue to call the Triborough. And I have noticed that when you go to the Triborough, it says Robert F. Kennedy or Triborough. Because nobody was calling it the RFK. Everyone was still calling it the Triborough. So I'd like to say thank you to all New Yorkers out there that are still calling it the Triborough. And I, having done all of this research on Robert Moses, now do swear to refer to it as the Robert F. Kennedy Bridge until it catches <laughs> on with everyone else. Because honestly, that won't change the bridge, but if it gets a little bit of Robert Moses out of our culture, so be it. Hmm. We'll have to agree to disagree. We will agree to disagree. Um, okay, Tribro. He built the Verrazano Verrazano Narrows, kind of his his crown jewel, his his greatest achievement, he thought, because and it's and it's a pretty cool bridge, you know, it's the biggest, it's the best, has the highest clearance, it's the longest span, and we'll get into that. Yeah. But I mean, his money maker was the Tribro. That was really where we'll kind of get into the money behind that and how it really mm -hmm. financed every other bridge in the mm -hmm. city. But if you look at the any of the housing projects, the public housing projects along the east side, those are all Robert Moses. Mm -hmm. All of the housing projects out on the Rockaways, you know, most of the housing projects in the city, for better or worse, are because of Robert Moses. There's no for better. You responsible journalist. What are you talking about for better? It's just for worst. It's for the worst. Yes, I think, I think he's responsible for that huge, blocky, urban housing project thing that unfortunately kind of 
carried over into other cities in the United States with Robert Moses providing the model. Yeah, yeah, he, he, that was his effect on housing and on urban redevelopment and on slum clearance. Yeah. Which we will get more into later. Yeah, it's amazing what he did, what he was able to accomplish and what he kind of took on, like, as we were saying, the housing projects, bridges, parks, like, he, at some point, he had 16 different jobs, city jobs. Mm-hmm, Just He kind mm-hmm. of collected them, and with it came the power. And state jobs, too. He just And state jobs, it. and nationwide jobs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty amazing. The one thing you have to say about him is that nothing was built shoddily. You know, everything is built very well. I'm with you on the expressways and the bridges. I have read a a specific anecdote, and we'll, of course, get into this later, about how public housing he built out of the cheapest materials he could find. Hmm. We will have to go back and forth on that, because I have an article about how he possibly built some, not that they're great, um, Mm -hmm. but compared to Europe and Chicago and other housing authorities that were going on at the time, he definitely built them better than other places were were doing, mostly because... I, I would be willing to hear that argument, yes. Mostly because if he built it crappy, he mm-hmm. it, he felt like it was a a slight against him. Like he wanted he everything. He would look bad. Yeah. He would look bad if. But we can definitely go into this later. Let's start with his early life, Kathleen. While I was doing this research, I desperately sought one positive thing about Robert Moses, and I found it, and that is that he has the same birth date as my dad. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> they are both born December 18th. My dad was not born in 1888, but they have the same birth date. So that being said, yay, people born on December 18th. And from there, Robert Moses and I depart. Yes, I, I'd say very drastically. You and he and your dad depart. Yes, yes. They are very different people from there on out. Yes. Well, he is born to German-Jewish parents in New Haven, Connecticut. So when he's about nine years old, he moves to New York City with his parents, um, who are older and retired kind of by the time they move here. He, His mom is actually pretty interesting. She's involved in the settlement movement especially when they moved to New York. And the goal is to get kind of rich and poor, different classes, different races, to all live closely together in an inter- interdependent communities where there's just no dividing line. You know, it's it's to try to avoid and get rid of slums and make it so com- communities and neighborhoods can just operate by themselves and help each other out rather than having these big organizations that can tend to be corrupt running everything and help, you know. But he definitely grows up. He's incredibly intelligent. That's a plus that he definitely has for going for him. He goes to some pretty amazing schools. I mean, he goes, he's, you know, he's living in New York City, goes back up to Connecticut, goes to Yale, Mm -hmm. goes from Yale to Oxford, comes Mm -hmm. back to Columbia and gets his PhD in political science. It's a professor. Moses. Professor Dr. Moses. Moses. Dr. Moses. It's, it's, that's pretty amazing pedigree yeah. as far as, you know, kind of starting out your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after school, he really gets involved in a lot of, is when he starts getting involved in New York City politics. Mm-hmm. These reform politics, which I think in the beginning he sounds a lot like his mom, you know. Yes. Breaking down barriers. He's, 
not the <laughs> evil power corrupts man that we mm. know of. But he really starts to come up with these plans to reorganize New York State government. But the interesting part is that I, d I don't know if he ever actually has dreams of being a politician. He kind of always mm -hmm. does the behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. He, he, there are a couple of cases where he did run for office and lost, but I, I get the feeling that he was happier behind the scenes. I think so, because if you're behind the scenes, you can still have what he found is you could still have all the power and mm -hmm. not have to worry about answering to the people. Exactly. Um, he does become friends with notorious uh, Governor Al Smith, who's mm -hmm. heavily associated with Tammany Hall, which, mm -hmm. you know, maybe we should do an episode on Tammany Hall just so... You keep hinting at that, Kate. Well, it's it's one of those things that we just keep <laughs> coming back to Tammany Hall. I feel like in several episodes we've, we've brought it up, and I, I feel a little bad because maybe some people don't know who what Tammany Hall is. It's, it does seem to me that any podcast that purports to be about the history of New York would be remiss in their responsibility to their listeners if they do not do an episode on Tammany Hall. That being said, I'm not telling anyone what our tea episode is going to be about. I'm not saying anything, but, you know, we might have covered it before now if we were not bound to the alphabet. Oh, Alas. bound to the alphabet. So, working with Al Smith, his best buddy at the time, mm -hmm. uh, he starts to set into motion a lot of consolidation and centralization of New York State government, and it kind of becomes the model for Roosevelt's New Deal, which I found really right. fascinating in that mm -hmm. he's able to influence the president in this. I, I just thought of the New Deal as something Roosevelt came up on his own. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because Roosevelt was, was governor of New York at, at one point, and I mean, yeah, he... That's it. Robert Moses did really great work consolidating New York government. He cut out the fat. He he brought people together. He made stuff happen. That was impressive. Yeah. He's, and at the time, he's considered the best bill drafter in Albany, which you mm -hmm. should remember later because he's really good at yeah. wording things in a way and putting so much legal speak in the bill that mm -hmm. the clause that he really wants in there is buried so deeply mm -hmm. that most people would just sign things and not realize they'd signed away their power to him That's because it. he's so he thought good ahead. At this. He wrote in loopholes for himself. He specifically deployed very vague phrasing when it suited him and very specific phrasing when it suited him. He was incredibly smart. He was a good bill drafter, and he was ambitious. And those three things together will get you very far. Um, but to the public, during this time, he's seen as kind of a savior during mm -hmm. the Tammany Hall corrupt run. He's, he's really seen as like, the he stands up for the people, and which is important. He really holds on to that public opinion for a long time. Yeah. And initially he was. Initially he was very idealistic. Um, and he tried. He, you know, before he, uh, teamed up with Al Smith, the governor Al Smith, and he was on his own and he was just kind of slogging his way through New York City politics, he was doing everything he could above board, you know, writing up proposals, going to Tammany, making these speeches while they laughed at him and booed him. And he did give it a legitimate try at 
getting things done the right way as as close as anyone could in in a city run by Tammany Hall and I don't want to discount his initial his initial inspiration to help people and there's even a quote from one of his classmates at Yale um, he's reported to have said in his undergrad years that he hoped one day to help the underprivileged the lower classes the people ground down by forces beyond their control he and I believe that he sincerely intended that when he first entered politics when we first entered, you know, city and state uh, organizations. Right. But as we know, money in politics corrupts. So this is kind of the turning point right here. This is, I think, mm-hmm. where he starts to go bad because once the New Deal set in place, mm-hmm. there's lots of money to spend. And Moses is one of the few who, when the money starts to roll in from for the WPA projects, he's mm-hmm. actually... One of the few people with projects ready to go. Like that he's able, is the biggest thing. Yep, yep. Right. It's, it's, because this whole, like Obama saying now is, our, where are the shovel ready projects? And Moses had plans, ideas, people, supplies, workers. He had people lined up. It was give us the money and we are on it. It wasn't dicking around figuring out the plan. He knew if you have plans ready to go, that is how New York State really struck gold with all the uh, New Deal money. That right. was going around. They were like, we are ready. Give it to us. Stuff is going to happen. And they're right. And it did. I mean, it's it, it seems a little suspicious. Like, how did he have these plans already ready to go? But, I mm-hmm. mean, if you consider that the New Deal is essentially his baby, like he had already mm-hmm. thought this up and mm-hmm. was ready to go with all of this. It's possible he could foresee that that would be the appealing thing right? With, when you're looking to, to hand out your cash. Yeah. Yeah. So, because he's... As prepared as he is, New York City, like you said, gets a ton of money to pour into their projects, which is good. It's mm-hmm. Depression-era mm-hmm. funding. People need jobs, especially in New mm-hmm. York City. There's so many people here that mm-hmm. that need work, and you just have lines and lines of people. So he's he's definitely ready to go. He doesn't have to go out and look for people. He's just got to go out into the street, essentially, and there are people mm-hmm. who are willing to work. Mm-hmm. And at this time which I found amazing, a quarter of the federal construction money was spent in New York State. Isn't and that astonishing? Amazing. And at some point, Moses had 80,000 people working under him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amazing. The numbers are amazing. And I do admire someone who can think on that scale because that's really impressive. That's That's it. Not only was Robert Moses born on my dad's birthday, he built Jones Beach State Park and the access roads to it. So I disagree with a lot of his stuff, but I like Jones Beach State Park. Have you been there, Kate? I have actually just once. I actually really like Robert Moses State Park the best. Yeah. Yeah. They're good beaches. They're nice. They're nice. But I mean, once you start, once we start going into the beaches, it's going to really spiral into us talking about him being racist. Right. Right. I'll get to that in a minute. Well, anyway. On the topic of the very few nice things that Kath was able to find about Robert Moses, he was state park crazy, and he wanted to make them accessible by parkways. He had this idea about parkways from the city, these beautiful parkways. They'd be like gorgeously landscaped, and they'd be like these lines of concrete, and they'd be curving, and he called them, this is so pretty, ribbon parks. Aww. Yeah. So even as you drove to the parks, you're driving through the parks. That was his idea. And that's a nice idea. And that was when Governor Al Smith named him president of the Long Island State Park Commission. One little problem, though, there was no 
Long Island State Park Commission. So, hmm. so when Governor Al Smith appointed him this, he started writing, drafting a bill. He uh, wanted to establish the Long Island State Park Commission, and he wanted to provide himself with the kind of powers and loopholes that he had worked to eliminate in the previous decade when he consolidated the state government. Yeah, he just kind of rebuilds exactly what was wrong with politics in the first place. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So after years of trying to work with Tammany and then years consolidating the government in Albany, he, I guess he was traumatized by that. And he wrote this bill to create the Long Island State Park Commission, of which he would be president, to keep him pretty safe and insulated from any criticism. So yes, so he used to believe in free and open debate, but you fight with Tammany long enough and you learn that free and open debate will not get you anywhere. So when he was drafting, you know, his his uh, bill about the State Park Commission, he made his term six years, not two, like a, a president's term would be with the other other commissions. He made it impossible for him to be fired without actual charges of misconduct and a formal public hearing at other commissions, of course, presidents could be fired at the government's discretion. He made sure that no one but the governor would know what was in his park's bills to be passed by the legislature in Albany. It's not the citizens, not the press, and not even the legislature knew what would be in these bills. So now, this bill that he had written to establish the Long Island State Park Commission and to establish his presidency thereof, if it passed, he would be, the, well, the State Park Commission, I should say, would be empowered to write its own laws and hire policemen and prosecutors to enforce them. Now, the commission would have all the powers granted to the city of New York in its charter. Wow. Well. Just the Parks Commission. And of course, that's only over park lands, but we'll see what he was able to do with that. So he's got this bill, right? And uh, it's, it's all written up. He's BFFs with the governor, and he needs an assemblyman to introduce and get the bill passed for him. So he gives it to uh, a junior assemblyman, Assemblyman F. Truby Davidson, in the New York State Assembly. Davidson was 28. He was fresh out of law school. He was reform-minded, and Robert Moses charmed the pants off him, which apparently he could do. Apparently that was a thing. Yeah, because if you, I guess if you're just looking at Robert Moses from the outside, you're like, yeah, Mm. reform. He definitely does seem very reform-minded, especially in the beginning. Especially in the beginning, yeah. And he had things he could point to, accomplishments he had done, yeah. Yeah, he's the guy who can get stuff done. Mm -hmm. So I can see why these like young, naive, reform-minded people want to go work for Robert Moses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's charmed by him, and he is very flattered. Davidson is very flattered to have the attention of the governor's buddy. So Moses asked Davidson to introduce the bill. He didn't mention any details about the plans. He actually kind of gave the impression that this bill, it's just kind of routine stuff. Um, governor Al Smith has Assemblyman Davidson to his office and thanks him for the support on his bill and this kid i just imagine like he's just blown away to meet the governor oh i'm sure um so also robert moses didn't give the bill to davidson until the very last minute yeah so davidson didn't read it and 
it passed unanimously. It was just kind of swept along through in the process. This and, parks yeah. bill, yeah, okay, yeah, approve it, fine, that's cool, moving on. So that was the start, folks. That was that was how it all began. This is Long Island State Parks Commission and Robert Moses' presidency of that. So first thing he had to do if he wanted to build state parks, he had to get land. So he was drafting bills to get land. First thing. And, uh, you know, the very first step. It used to be that the only way that a state could get land was to condemn it. And that is slow. And the owner can file an appeal. So that's not cool. So here is, is one of the very first things that Robert Moses did that was like, why, why are you on the dark side now, Bob? Is he found a clause from the 1800s, from 1884, a clause buried deep, deep in the bill about appropriation. Yeah, this is really where his expert bill drafter skills come into play. Yeah, yeah, this is extremely important. Appropriation, which we now know can mean taking something. You you appropriated this. You misappropriated those funds, you, you know. But back then, if you asked anyone what appropriation meant, they thought it meant a legislature allocating funds to mm -hmm. something, giving money to something, not taking land from someone. So he took an obscure statement and he began to exercise the state's right to simply walk onto someone's land, tell the owner it now belongs to the state, and if he wants compensation, he could apply to the Condemnation Commission. Right. But as soon as you say, I'm going to fight this, you're likely mm -hmm. not going to get any money. So it's... Well, you, I mean, you would get money. There was, there was a couple of cases where people got paid for their land, but the, but to actually stay on their land oh, was definitely never not. an option. You, that's, if the state is taking your land, the state's taking your land. Maybe you'll right. get paid. Probably you'll get paid, actually. I mean, that's a, the, you know, the initial laws were pretty fair if something's condemned and they're kicking you off that sucks and you'll get paid for that i mean that's that's okay but um this you is won't, where you won't have your land you won't you will lose your building you will lose your house you have to leave you have right to. but this only really affects you if you're working class especially on long island because mm -hmm. a lot of these highway projects on long island kind of mm -hmm. if you've noticed snake a little weird that's because he would go around wealthy landowners like J.P. Morgan Jr. Well, and really yes and no. It's really interesting. We get into that. And it, it's, it's, it's so cool what he does to the robber barons. And yeah. it's, it's so, so cool. Like I, I, I read the, the same part that you read and I was like, that's neat. But he had a hard time with them and what he did was evil but funny. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah. So he would walk on your land and take it. He just would. And you would get paid, but you are stuck. You have to leave. And appropriation, when it was initially created, was just intended to protect forests, really remote forests from loggers. There's a whole story about how people wanted to cut down the trees and the state wanted to take the land back. So before they could, the loggers cut the trees down. So that's why they made appropriation so they could say, right now, this is mine. Right. So, for example, it could not be deforested until everything settled out in courts. Appropriation was never intended to be used in an urban area, in a suburban area, or like farms. It was, it was unheard of. 
And the thing is, it was in this bill from 1884, no one exercised that option after the whole thing with the forests. No one ever did that. It's kind of forgotten. Because it's, you know, a lot of people kind of doubted its constitutionality. But yeah, they forgot about it, or the legislature never got around to repealing that clause. So it was still there, and Robert Moses jumped on it. He always looks for the loophole that he can go through. It's amazing. It's amazing. I, I mean, he must have read through. He must have read everything. He must have read every law to find something like this, you know? Yeah, I think he also had a large staff. I think some of this is him looking Maybe. for stuff. I think some of it yeah. is him training people His who people. work for him to think like him and look for stuff like this. Because there's just no so. way one one man can sit down and go through everything and find this clause. So the Parks Commission had uh, authority over parks, uh, park entrances, docks, piers, and parkways. State highway laws, this is important, had authority over highways. Part of the state highway laws meant that the localities who had those, the authority over the highways had veto power over the location of the planned highways. Highways. Right, so he built... Not parkways. State highways had nothing, nothing. They could not say a thing. They could not do a thing. They could not change where a parkway would go. Of course, parkways hadn't existed back when the highway law had been written. That didn't matter, and no one, no one stopped him. So after that, it's all about getting land. He needs space. He's got to get land. And so his first approach is what any of us would do if we needed to get huge swaths of land on Long Island. And that's not actually a joke. What any of us would do is we'd drive up to farmers. We'd, you want to visit them in the evening, not in the day, because they're busy during the day, hoeing or whatever it is they do. And farming. Farming. They're farming. Farming. Yeah. Hoeing things hoeing. and okay. harvesting and yeah, farming. Plowing, right? Uh, First, he'd be all friendly and charming. He'd sit drinking beer with the farmers. He'd offer them good prices for the edges of their property. And that was really successful, you know. Uh, When it wasn't successful, he would quickly turn aggressive. Uh, He could threaten the state is all supreme when it comes to condemnation proceedings. If we want your land, we can take it. One family did challenge him. They went to the Court of Claims, and actually they got more than twice of what he had offered when he offered to buy it. So they got paid for their land, but like I said, you can't. they wanted to just stay there? Forget it. Yeah, no, you can't you, stay. You're done. You can't have your land. You can either get money or not get money. Those are your options. Now, here's the cool thing. You mentioned wealthy people. He played hardball with the multimillionaires, too. So here's the thing. The rich people refused to even discuss the parkway they would not they wouldn't even no no send him away you know the 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 servants would not bring them would not bring him in that it is out of the question now you need to leave and these are like the multimillionaires, kind of in the northern part of long island uh this is where gatsby and everyone lived west egg east egg um they had their estates and their mansions and like huge complexes many mansions for family members so rather than just flat out condemn their estates which he knew he probably wouldn't win because they had a lot of influence money and lawyers on their side here's what he did he sent surveyors 
to the estates. The estates of the Phipps, the Whitneys, the Carnegies, the Morgans, the Vanderbilts, the Winthrops, the Rumseys, and the Cons. His surveyors went out, made their measurements, and placed thousands of these little red and white flags in the ground. So these tiny flags would mark the exact route of the parkway. They marched straight across those manicured lawns and right by these fancy front doors of the astonished barons. Uh-oh. So naturally, they send their lawyers on Robert Mose. They sick their lawyers on him. He spells it out bluntly. He says, if your clients are willing to donate land for the parkway, the route could be shifted away from their houses to the borders of their huge estates. We'd be willing to do that. Yeah, because I was going to say, some of those estates still exist. I've been there. (laughs) But the commission really did have the power to take the land right next to their houses and would be so happy to do that. And that's how he got them. So, yeah, there is, there is, if you look at the Long Island Expressway and, and the roads he built, they do squiggle around at some points and they are dodging the Robert Barron's estates. But he wouldn't have even gotten them through that area if he hadn't played hardball like that. Yeah, but you have to say, he really demolished a lot of working-class neighborhoods. Oh, are you... There was no skirting. Like, he still was able... The rich people still get to keep their houses. And he definitely does snake through and kind of worked with them. But Mm -hmm. there was no working with anyone who... Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. He, He... Other people in other cities used to come to him for advice after he started building his expressways. And they're like, Rob, Bob, how do you do this? What's the secret? And the secret is you deal with the poor, the black, and the helpless. I love that you call him Bob. That's pretty great. Yeah. I call him Bobby Moe myself. But uh, oh, okay, that's All just right. me. Yeah. yeah. You guys are that close. Mm-hmm. We're, we're pretty close. Yeah. So the poor, the black, and the helpless, that... And and all, you know, when you're poor, all you have is your community and your family and the people around you and that support system. And you ram a road through it. And yeah, then you are in very, very bad shape. That is how he managed to deal with the robber baron. So you're right. He destroyed lives. He He bought farmer's land when he could. He worked with people when he could. But he knew that wasn't going to work very well. And he... Ran the parkways through uh, many people's homes, but playing hardball with the robber barons was the only way to get it past their houses. So Robert Moses wasn't completely untouchable. He was just mostly untouchable. The only person who could stop him at this point was Governor Al Smith. And, of course, they were BFFs. They were ridiculously good friends. This is funny. They are so different. Al Smith is a really cool character and i recommend seeing rick burns's new york city documentary because they talk about al smith and and he was uh he was involved with tammany but he wasn't a puppet of tammany and he was progressive and reform-minded and he was he was a good guy it's so funny because they couldn't be more different it really is. He's he's totally the the bootstrapping scrappy guy who worked his way up he he called the he's worked in the Fulton fish market for years. And he would tell people he had like his, his, his degree of fish or something like that. He, he, he was very blunt and straightforward. He did not go to school, but he worked his way up from the bottom and he knew everything. And he was a smart guy and he was governor at the time it was happening. And they were buddies. Governor Al Smith kind of like pursued his friendship because Robert Moses was a little bit shy and held in. 
And Al Smith would be like, hey, I wonder what Bob's doing. And he would like call him up and <laughs> drag him out of his house and they'd go out and drink. I mean, they were they were really, really good friends. So even though Al Smith is the one who could have stopped Robert Moses, he was disinclined to do that, honestly. There were lawyers fighting Robert Moses' takeover of a particular estate, the estate of the late George C. Taylor in East Islip in Long Island. This is kind of an important case, which is why I'm going to go into some detail about this. Interesting thing is the heirs were happy to sell the estate. He didn't have any problem with actually getting the land itself, but it was the people in the neighboring estates. They were like, well, we don't want a park. What? 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 And this wasn't about a parkway. This is about establishing an actual state park. We don't want a, a park here. No, 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 no. The lawyers for the, the people of East Islip found themselves in a hearing with Governor Al Smith. And Al Smith legitimately wanted to know both sides of the mm-hmm. issue. He was like, well, what's going on here? Let's hear about it. And for whatever reason, Al Smith just made it. It was this really laid back setting. People are sitting around joking. Um, you know, he, he's talking to people. He wants to hear from the lawyers, but also from the principals. He wants to hear from the actual people of East Islip who brought this case in the first place and like why what's what's you know what's what's your side of the issue and at one point he asks the guy you know why why don't you want to park here what, what what's the problem who doesn't want to park one principal says he feared that the town would be quote overrun with rabble from the city unquote according to smith's biographers smith looked up at the word rabble and the laughter in the room mm. died away. And the governor says, Rabble? Uh, that's me you're talking about. And he reached out and he grabbed the appropriation form, the form that he was supposed to sign to give the land over to Robert Uh-oh. Moses. And the, this principal is like, oh, oh shit, oh shit. He lamely tries to turn it into a joke. And he says, why, where is a poor millionaire to go nowadays if he wants to be alone? And Governor Smith responds, he could try the Harlem Valley Hospital. The Harlem Valley State Hospital was a mental institution. (laughs) And Governor Smith signed the appropriation form. The land went to the state commission. Don't insult the rabble around Governor Al Smith is the lesson we can learn from this. I... I really like their relationship, Al Smith and Robert it, Moses. I, but that, it, it seems kind of really sweet and funny. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of sweet, and it's really the last time that someone is able to rein in Robert Moses. It's true. Is it's during true. this, like he's he's obviously getting away with a lot, but mm-hmm. it's it's unbelievable. As soon as Al Smith is gone, and our favorite mayor Fiorella Laguardia steps in, mm-hmm. how much Al Smith was able to control. I mean, I realize yeah. we're talking about mayor versus governor, but once Al Smith is gone, there's nobody, nobody. to really keep Everyone Robert Moses from taking over. Yeah. yeah, it's true. It's true. And it's funny. I read uh, a really brief little anecdote. It said that whenever Robert Moses was hanging out with Al Smith, he called him governor, referred to him as governor. He didn't call him Al, called him governor. Um, not in like a formal way, but just that's, that's who he was. He was the governor. Robert Moses worked with a lot of governors of New York State, but he never once referred to any of the other ones by governor. He just called them by their first names. So to Robert Moses, only one man was the New York State governor, and it was Al. Yeah, he definitely respected him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, naturally, this starts like a decade of Robert Moses trying to get land, not getting it, taking it, 
lawsuits, appeals, lawsuits, appeals. Al Smith was urged by his advisors to bring a special session and to let the papers know and get public opinion on their side, talking about the state parks and people resisting us and trying to get this land. So Al Smith did not call a special session immediately. It was April. This is April of 1925. He did not call it in May. He waited until the first awful heat wave. It's pretty smart. Uh-huh. June 1st, the temperature and humidity made a soggy blanket on the city. People were desperate to get out of the city to beaches and parks. Temperatures are in the 90s. Traffic jams in Long Island. It's a nightmare. People actually assaulted policemen who were barring access to an existing oh park. Uh, something rich people would do in Long Island is of the parks that existed, they would, because it was in their town, they would pass laws saying, oh, only local people can use this park. This is a park only for people of this city of Long Island. And that is how you kept <coughs> the rabble out. And people would drive on these long roads and be told, oh, you can't come into this park. There's more parks further down there. Keep on driving. The road is getting more and more decrepit. More guards. Oh, this isn't for you. This is for local people only. Keep driving. And and there were no parks at the end. And it was bullshit. A lot of cities, you know, though, a lot of cities still do this. You know, yeah, you have the Hamptons. Yeah. You have definitely still ritzier areas that you have to have a permit. Um, I just mm -hmm. went out to Montauk a month ago. Mm -hmm. uh, it'll probably be a bit more than a month by the time this po posts. But if you're in season, even in Montauk, you still have to have pay to have the parking permit. That's it. Yeah, they get it with a, with a parking pass. So maybe it's mm -hmm. not like you have to pay to come to this park or you have to be a local to come to this park, but you have to have a parking pass. If you had a bicycle, right. would you have been okay? Uh, I think so. You can definitely, we parked at our hotel. Mm -hmm. So um, if you've ever been in Montauk, it's mm -hmm. a very small town. And if you want to stay just in the town area, you can walk everywhere. But if you want to go where the fishermen are, if you want to go hiking, you have mm -hmm. to have a car. So you have to be able to drive to get out. But if you want to go to the beach and you're not mm -hmm. staying in a hotel or motel there, mm -hmm. then you have to get the... You're screwed. Yeah. You're kind of screwed. Yeah. So on June 10th, Al Smith announced this special session, and it was going to be held on June 22nd. And the next day, he's so smart. It's I'm glad he was a reformer, and he did a lot of good stuff, but in this case, it was kind of bad that he was on Robert Moses' side, but whatever. He did this radio broadcast, went statewide, and he said, there are people in this state who are opposed to parks, to the park program, because they do not desire public parks or parkways too close to their private estates, their mm. golf courses, their fox hunting grounds, their polo fields. And other speeches before the special session, he kept pounding on the theme of the few against the many, of wealth and privilege and influence against the masses, of parks against millionaires' golf courses. And the press loved it the press sure. was all over this they jumped on this big time they they honestly lost their heads a bit and were not as objective as they typically uh aspire to be or purport to be and the thing is even the scrupulously objective new york times got into this 
Now, mm. here's one of the things that didn't hurt. The owners of the Times is the Ox family, O-C-H-S. They were all really into parks. They were really interested in parks and what parks can do for cities. Um, now, they didn't make direct orders to journalists to be like, hey, bias this, make it sound pro-park. But I think what you've got is a situation of like reporters and editors who know what the paper's owners are interested in and report on that. And that's how a lot of this got into the New York Times as well. Letters in support of the governor and in support of these parks just poured into Albany. So here we are at our special session, June 22nd, 1925. It is roasting. Assemblymen are pissed that they had to come all the way up to Albany to do this stupid special session. They're melting. They're sweating. It's the 20s. No one has air conditioning. They lost. Astonishingly, amazingly, they did not win. The parks did not win. Uh, regardless of the bad press, anti-park legislators were the majority. They were legislators from upstate. So upstate voters were already kind of appalled at the idea of spending millions on downstate parks. I do want to mention now that at this time, upstate, um, upstate, I guess it's sort of Republican now. Back then, it was not just Republican and Protestant and Prohibitionist, but even the Ku Klux Klan was, was pretty powerful at that time. Oh, that's, that's, and I read that too. Mm -hmm. It's pretty amazing because I never think of New York State as being heavy Ku Klux Klan. I know, isn't that amazing? But yeah, but, yeah, it was. I mean, Ku Klux Klan headquarters, I think, were like Indiana. Like, it, I thought everyone was down in Alabama and stuff. I guess not. Well, I guess not, at least not in the 20s. I don't know. Maybe that should have been episode K when we do a, a United States ABC. The next one? Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so upstate voters were appalled at the idea of spending millions on downstate parks. The bill to stop appropriation of private lands for parks passed in record time. So they stopped it. They stopped appropriating the land. It's neat. They, the roll call was completed by 5. The bill passed at 6.30. Appropriation was stopped. Robert Moses had been stopped. Oh, but by 7 p.m.? Governor Smith vetoed the bill. Robert Moses was back. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's good to have friends in high places. <laughs> it really is. So he was back, but he was in bad shape. So, I mean, the, he, he needed to get money. No money had been given to the parks. He stood to lose a lot of the other estates and regions that he had previously claimed. He spent the rest of the year just battling lawsuits. At one point, he even perjured himself on the stand, and the prosecutor was like, Bam! Gotcha! I mean, he... he Here's a... Uh, still trying to get Jones Beach together. He needed help. He needed cooperation from the residents of three towns. So all three townships voted overwhelmingly to not turn over their oceanfront property for the Jones Beach development. And Robert Moses was down for the count. And that was parts one and two of Robert Caro's amazing article. Oh, that was one and two. Awesome. Now it's my turn. Right. So everything we just had with him fight, have, you know, going through all these fights, I think is really when the power hungry demon in him comes out. <laughs> He's tired of fighting. He mm -hmm. doesn't want anybody to be in his way anymore. Mm -hmm. He's tired of fighting for the money. Like he realizes, I think money was really never that important to him. He didn't, yeah, he didn't seem to want to get wealthy. Yeah. 
No, he definitely, it's not like he's power hungry mm-hmm. and he embezzles money, which is a lot of what we see now. Right. He, he just doesn't care about the money, which you can see because he spends a ton of money mm-hmm. on these projects. It's not mm-hmm. like he spends a little bit of money and they're very cheap and not well made. He definitely mm. spends the money that he gets he, to build these it. projects. He finds ways to get lots of revenue streams. And he in very it. smart ways. I mean, he you're right. He builds quality structures. I, I take it back. He, he built ugly public housing, but solid public housing. Yeah, I'm not going to say it's pretty. Okay. And I'm going to say a lot of the bridges he built mm-hmm. are not pretty bridges. They're more utilitarian. We're kind of reaching the end of the beautiful, you Especially know. I, you know, East River. What happened? Oh, man. That shit is hideous. I like the Triborough, you know, but everything after that. Good Lord, Kate. Oh, the Triborough's ugly. I mean, it's, you have the beautiful brook. Kind of going upriver, they get worse. I love mm-hmm. the Brooklyn, the Manhattan, the Williamsburg. Mm-hmm. Once you go beyond that, it's really utilitarian, this utilitarian style of bridge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I have some fondness for Queensboro. If you, if you mean you the look Ed Koch? Yeah, Ed Koch. <laughs> if, you, if you look at it in the right light, it looks kind of lacy and, and metallic and almost um, Eiffel Tower-like, but I digress. Yes, that's the different podcast. I know. I get confused. Sometimes. So this is when the Triborough Bridge really starts to play a big part of his life because mm-hmm. he invents this job called the chairman, called the, he's the chairman of the Triborough Bridge Authority, okay. which is the smartest thing he's, it really <laughs> brings him so much money. It's like the smartest thing he does really? is this Triborough Bridge Authority because it brings in money. <laughs> yes. Because before now, when you had a bridge, you took tolls until the bridge was paid off mm-hmm. and then the bridge was turned over to the city. And it's free. Yeah. And it's free, and you can ride it. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd like everyone to notice now that how few bridges are free in the city, and a lot of the bridges and tunnels that are mm-hmm. not free mm-hmm. are ones that our friend, Robert Moses, had a hand in building. I, You know what? You're absolutely right. I didn't even notice that. I have an I-pass. I only have to dig it out for a couple of things, but I have to dig it out for Triborough, and Brooklyn Battery, and, well, George Washington wasn't him, but, yeah, continue. Yeah, he, uh, it's, he, it's really his moneymaker. So mm-hmm. there's a proposed bridge that will link, as everyone knows, mm-hmm. three, three boroughs, mm-hmm. Manhattan, the Bronx, and Queens, and consequently makes the uh, Long Island parks and Jones Beach more accessible to the public. It's true. Especially but, Bronx, Westchester, now they can get through. Yeah. Exactly. So the city had started building this bridge in like 1929. Mm-hmm. The Triborough? But the Triborough. Okay. This bridge that the RFK. people, you know, ex- did Triborough. And he, <laughs> because of the Depression, they'd had a hard time raising the money. Uh-huh. And who's better at raising money than Robert Moses and getting money from the federal government? Mm-hmm. But he has this idea for the Triborough Bridge Authority, which gets money from the Public Works Administration. Mm-hmm. And his whole idea with the Triborough is, well, all we have to do is never make it so that 
the bridge never pays off its debt. Because、oh. as soon as the bridge pays off its debt, we can't collect tolls anymore. So if we keep taking bonds <gasps> out on the bridge,、yes. then it's never paid off. He's、and、an he evil will, genius, Kate. Yes,、oh、my God. he's brilliant. Oh my God! So that's why all the bridges kind of still have tolls in that they have bonds taken out, and we still work this way. We、uh-huh. still take bonds out on these bridges because、mm-hmm. they know it's a guaranteed source of income. People are going to、mm-hmm. pay to take it, and at the time, the tolls were like a nickel or a dime. Right. Right. And which was still money back then, you know, it wasn't it's still money, definitely, it wasn't kind of like definitely. whatever, like today, you know, that was that was money. Yeah, he,、mm. it's yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. He that really, it's that it's a continual source of income, and he no longer at this point he realizes that he will not have to go through the legislature to get money anymore. He still goes through it to pass bills. He doesn't have to go to the people for money.、Mm-hmm. This bridge and Other bridges, but this bridge pays for other projects to happen. The Tribro is his is his golden goose. Yeah, exactly. So he uses this all. You know, it's cyclical. It、mm-hmm. the money just keeps coming. He takes more and more bonds out. Just the millions of dollars that go into this that come out of this bridge. It's Phenomenal, and mm-hmm, I'll get、mm-hmm. a little more into the. This is where the finances get a little more corrupt, but、mm-hmm. not necessarily on his end. He never takes the money for himself. He just uses the money to pay other people, which I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. He does shady、corrupt. stuff with the money, but he's not stealing it. Yeah. No, and everything he does is above the board. Like it's all legal.、Yeah. It's all shady、mm-hmm. and a little strange, but it's it's a little weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This whole money situation is so unbelievable. How much money was passing through Robert Moses's office, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how he was able to raise it.、Mm-hmm. I mean, really, the money is only good to him if to keep his power. He uses、mm-hmm. the money to keep the power, and the more money he's able to get, and we're talking, you know. In excess of like eighty million dollars per bridge, sometimes,、mm-hmm. and and that's not that's in nineteen thirties and nineteen forties money. That's not in current money. It's billions of dollars. Ridiculous amounts of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because let's say a bridge makes five million dollars a year, but after you've sold the bond so many times, suddenly you have eighty-one million dollars,、mm-hmm. and the bridge is just not worth that. And like you were just saying, to imagine how not in debt. New York State would be right now because of this. Is I mean, our state would be in pretty good shape, but we、mm-hmm. really wouldn't have a lot of the things we have now. That's true. A lot of、Or、the bridges we that we use. Better things, Kate.、Hmm? Hmm. Would we? Would we have all kinds of underground tunnels and high-speed trains that leave the surface ah, undisturbed? But a, a big fight. A big fight that Robert Moses had, which is true.、Hmm. Yeah, actually, that'd be better because I think tunnels are technically cheaper to build. Bridges? Oh, I think they're more expensive. Oh, never、and、that's mind. Why, that's why that's why labor likes it because there's more work then. Right. So I'm not a hundred percent sure. I think you're right. Yeah, he he loved bridges because there's there's more. No, because they're visible. Because they're beautiful, gorgeous monuments.、They're、beautiful monuments. You see them from the sky. You're like, yeah, Robert Moses. That's what he would think when he saw bridges. Well, I, I wish I'd had this quote when we talked about LaGuardia last week. So this is really kind of the LaGuardia 
working with Robert Moses era. Uh, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. beginning is very, I wouldn't say they're buddies, but they definitely work well together until Robert Moses starts to really get money and power from this Triborough Bridge Authority. Yeah. Then uh, LaGuardia really kind of gets pushed to the side, and Robert Moses almost has more control of the city than LaGuardia himself. I think a lot of people would say that, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I have a great quote from um, Robert Caro, who wrote The Power Broker, which is a fantastic but very long book about This entire Moses. podcast is in it's great to debt to Robert Caro. We, exactly. we used a lot of his resources. It was exhaustively researched. It's a wonderful book. I highly recommend Power Broker. Go on. Yeah. Well, he says, LaGuardia may have pulled New York back from the door of fiscal death, but not even LaGuardia could restore the city to fiscal health. Mm. The corruption that preceded him, Tammany Hall, mm-hmm. had weakened the body politic far too seriously. Mm-hmm. So Moses is really the only one who can... I mean, I know it's corrupt, but he really give. There really are a lot of jobs out there mm-hmm. while he's in power. There's a lot of money that changes hands. You start the bankers really become very powerful at this time, mm-hmm. just in how much money they're making on the bonds. And he definitely mm-hmm. favored certain banks over others. Yep, and and favored certain construction companies over others. He really hated the union system, but hmm. realized that he had to play it in mm-hmm. order to get what he needed to get done. Isn't that interesting? So in a sense, he, they had some sort of control over him. Yeah. Not and much. the city the city at this point has no money for large public works. Mm-hmm. It has to rely on the federal government or Robert Moses. Isn't that interesting? And I no love that those are, the two, those are the two options, mm-hmm. Robert Moses or the federal government. Mm-hmm. And who are you going to go with? You'll probably go with Robert Moses because mm-hmm. he's local. And he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing, and this is where he's really the master bill drafter at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. He's really looking into loopholes, gimmicks. He mm-hmm. will do anything it takes to keep his power and to have his power grow. Yeah. He also stretches, he, he changes laws and adds amendments that kind of boggle the mind on what he, on how kind of smart he is in a devious mm-hmm. way, where mm-hmm. he'd say, Okay, well, I have control over the parkway leading to this. But then Mm -hmm. I also have control of the road that leads to the parkway. And Mm -hmm. then I have, therefore, control over the road leading to the road. So in the end, Mm -hmm. he can stretch this law. In the end, he was unstoppable. He was unstoppable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he can can make this law so that because all the roads connect, because that's what roads do, he has Mm -hmm. control over all the roads. Everything connects. I own, and therefore he owns the city and he owns every street because he can really mm. push back these tertiary, secondary and tertiary streets to connect mm-hmm. and say, well, then, you know, Broadway is technically part of the Triborough Bridge Isn't because that it connects amazing? to 125th or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever dumps onto the Triborough. Mm-hmm. And he starts mm-hmm. to, and this is, I mean, from a man who is essentially a state parks commissioner and. Yeah head of a bridge authority, mm-hmm. this is where he starts to build housing and get, really get into some strange stuff, pools. But, well, they're part of the park system, but mm-hmm. just his scope and his idea, like mm-hmm. he really built a city. Mm-hmm. And He loved to swim. Is, I should put that out there. So there's a lot of He loved to now. swim. Yeah. But there are definitely <laughs> some, with the housing authority and the pools, this is really a lot. And even the state parkways going to the beaches, mm-hmm. this is where you really start to get a lot of his 
You hear more and more about how racist he is. Ah, go on. Um, especially the pools. He, oh, he's. This is where I really hate him. He's he's pretty awful. He had a a colleague, Sidney Shapiro. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a close Mo, Sidney Shapiro. It's a close Moses aide, and mm-hmm. he's quoted with. Kind of talk when talking about Robert Moses as saying, you can pretty well keep them, meaning black people Mm. and Puerto Ricans, which is a large section of the population at this point. Mm -hmm. You can keep them out of any pool as long as you keep the water cold enough, as in the white people will be fine if the water's too cold, but (laughs) anybody else is totally not going to swim there. Makes no, absolutely no sense. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Did it work? He'd also kind of, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, yeah, I wish I knew. <laughs> I, ca- I can't believe it worked. Yeah. But the one thing he did do is, uh, to keep, to keep, to keep people out of, to keep any black people, Hispanics out of these supposedly white pools in white mm-hmm. neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. He would make it really hard to get to these places. Mm. So he'd like, you know, build up a highway so that and you know there's all these steps and you have to mm-hmm. go this way and that way and there's no mass transit to get to here mm-hmm. especially when you think of the high like getting out to long beach or long beach jones beach these highways there's no public transportation so not just that but any poor working class that just doesn't have access to a car mm-hmm. there's no way out there mm-hmm. and i, I I'd like to apologize in advance. I don't have research backing this up, but I, I have heard this before. If you notice, a lot of the um, the highways going out to these beaches, mm-hmm. the uh, the overpasses that go over, they're really beautiful. They're like arched. They're all different. Uh, Every single one of these stone bridges that goes they over. They are, but they're if you've noticed, they're really low, so that it's almost impossible to get a real bus to go through them. Mm-hmm. And I can vouch for this because I saw a U-Haul truck <gasps> go through and sardine can the top of the truck. Really? So the idea is, well, these nobody can pull together and get a bus to get out there because mm-hmm. I've made it so that the, you know, these they're not tall enough to get big buses through. So we don't and know if that's deliberate. I mean, we know that's true. Right. But. I I can't vouch for it, but when you think of Robert Moses's personality and you yeah. think of things he did, it 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 falls in line. It but definitely we cannot, falls in line. We cannot say that. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to look into that though because that I would love to see that confirmed somewhere. Listeners, if you have any evidence of this being true, speak up. Let us know. Yeah, please let us know. Uh, I've heard it several times from mm-hmm. people who have who grew up in this era mm-hmm. in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I mean, in this uh, in this city. Yeah. So I'd, I'd love to hear more if anybody knows. But of course, there, we did a whole he, episode of debunked things that people grew up hearing also. So yeah, we'll true, find out. true. Um, he built tons of playgrounds, but he didn't build any in Harlem. Like there are no playgrounds built by Robert Moses in Harlem. This is even more horrifying when you consider how many playgrounds he built. He increased the number of playgrounds from 119 to 777 playgrounds. Yeah. This city is lousy with playgrounds, which is a great thing. None in Harlem? None. No, well, none. I won't say there are no 
playgrounds in Harlem, but there are none that he built in Harlem. Okay. What I'd read is he built one in Harlem. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah, we'll say one, which Mm -hmm. is pretty much like having none. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He did lots of, he worked on uh, lots of really beautiful, which we kind of talked about, beautiful aesthetic achievements and amenities on Riverside Drive, Mm -hmm. where we're talking about the West Side Highway. And that was nasty before he came along. Mm Mm-hmm. It's all below 125th Street. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he kind of did everything he could to separate the neighborhoods. I mean, you when I think of segregation, I generally think of the South, but it's definitely a problem in the North as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just it's not... Horrifying. I'm horrified that it's he was allowed to get away with that, that no one stopped him. That I'm sure people noticed. I'm sure people tried to stop him, but he was an intimidating guy. Honestly, people talked about him screaming, yelling, playing hardball. Yeah, he was... He sounds like a scary person to work for. He Uh, sounds like a scary person, and I'm going to say it, a bad human being. There, I said it. Yeah, he's... I agree, I hate him on this. More bad than good. Uh, This is also the really eminent domain. We were kind of talking about appropriating things before Mm -hmm. it's just just eminent domain is huge in the city at this point Mm -hmm. he does whatever he can to get the places i mean he has so much power at this time that he has no problem pushing through eminent domain Mm -hmm. he can get contracts without any competitive bidding like Mm -hmm. he's just like this is it this is the job that's going to happen yeah yeah these are the people who are going to do it this is this is when and where yep yeah, previously he needed support of the mayor, elected officials, and definitely the people. But at this point, he doesn't care anymore, and he mm-hmm. lets people know it. Mm-hmm. He definitely is very blunt, and, th- oh, this is the famous quote where he's going against LaGuardia, and LaGuardia is like, I didn't agree to this. And his quote says, I think you had better read the agreements and contracts. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care. He says, I'm in charge. The mayor knows it pretty much until, until this point mm-hmm. when he, when, until this point, he kind of had treated LaGuardia's, you know, at least to his face, treated him as a superior because he's the mayor. And technically, mm-hmm. Robert Moses is not elected. an official. He's just yeah. got elected yeah. official. He's not a politician. Mm-hmm. But at this point, he starts to treat LaGuardia as an equal. Mm-hmm. He's really playing the politics. He makes them wait for their meetings, things like that. You don't make the mayor wait. Come on. Yeah, and yeah, he definitely makes him wait several mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. He he's just like, well, you know, you're no better than me. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where Depression era money is really gone. Like the federal government does not have the money to start to keep pouring money into parks, parks. projects anymore, yeah. especially. So really, this it, you have to have. You need the money. The city has no money. The federal government has no money. But Robert Moses is the only one with money. And mm-hmm. anyone associated with him is definitely making money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, he, uh, he and Al Smith, I think at some point, are walking through a law library and they see a student studying the law, mm-hmm. studying his law books at a table. And he says, that's a man who is who knows how to take a graft and turn it into a fee. <laughs> Take a bribe I mean, this, and turn it into a fee? Yeah. So how to wow. take a bribe and a turn bribe, it into a bribe, a graft, and a, turn it into a essentially, fee. Essentially, yeah. Exactly. Nice. Wow. It's, yeah, so they knew, uh, because the tribal, 
authority becomes so big at some point, mm-hmm. Robert Moses realizes that auditing the authority would require a staff working for, and this is like, let's say, 50... I have the numbers from Robert Caro. He says that 50 accountants working for one year mm-hmm. is how long it would take to audit nice. the Tribro. Uh, and no controller actually has that. Co- nobody has that kind of man- no manpower. Mm-hmm. So there's pretty much nobody to check Robert Moses at mm-hmm. this point. Mm-hmm. He's so much in power. And this goes on for a good decade, really, where mm-hmm. this happens. But... The only thing I'll say is that Robert Moses never actually gets, as we said before, he never gets money corrupt. He's always money honest. Mm-hmm. Well, he does bend the rules sometimes, but not to like cheat people, not yeah, to pocket he, the money. He, he no, no. P- puts money here, puts money there to cover his ass when needed, um, but, uh, but he's not looking to increase his own personal wealth, from what we could tell. Yeah, so when we're talking about how much money this is, I mm-hmm. think they also had tax-exempt mm-hmm. status because for these bonds, because they're technically public works projects. Mm. And the bankers who got involved with this didn't have to wait to make money. Mm. They could make money that day. So one number I had was that uh, you could purchase, let's say, to purchase $300 million worth of bonds. Mm-hmm. From Tribro for $295 million. Let's mm-hmm. say you spend $295 million. Wait, sorry, 295 yeah, $295 million. Mm-hmm. But within a day, you can make a profit of $5 million mm-hmm. on the bonds. Just mm-hmm. buy the bonds, sell them, and you've made $500 million. Mm-hmm. But of course, who's paying? Where's all this money coming from? It's coming from the motorist, which is where this starts to get a little weird for him. Mm-hmm. The people are paying. Th- so the people who go through the bridges, through the tunnels, who have to go through his public works projects are the people who are foot, who are footing the bill for this and yeah. not never seeing an end to having to pay for this. Yes. But there are people at the top, the bankers who are this is where the money gets a little weird, who are actually making money off of this. Millions mm-hmm. and millions and millions of dollars. It's pouring in. Yeah. Yeah. And once, even if he's not money corrupt, mm-hmm. you're definitely going to have people who work for him that are. Definitely. Definitely. Not only does he overstep the mayor, mm-hmm. but the borough presidents at the time, mm-hmm. who had really been in charge of everything, every public works in each, in their borough, mm-hmm. they really were in charge of everything that happened. Now we think of the borough president as not really having any power, and that's because of Robert Moses, really. Really? He, yeah, he... The, they really used to... Let's see. Yeah, each borough president controlled every public works in his borough, from mm-hmm. bridge to catch basin, really in charge of everything, mm-hmm. in, you know, voted for by the people. He really kind of destroys that. Mm-hmm. He... Let's see. All the money, all the federal public works projects, instead of getting funneled through the borough president's offices, which is how it had always been, <laughs> are suddenly mysteriously getting funneled through him. Funneled through Robert Moses. And yep. so then each incoming borough president suddenly had to work with this guy. They have to go they to him and ask for money? 
Yeah, well, to have mm-hmm. something done. And yeah, usually yeah. he came to them and said, hey, look, you know, Maybe this would be great for your borough. Why mm-hmm. don't we do this Brooklyn mm-hmm. Queens Expressway mm-hmm. and destroy neighborhoods and cut off neighborhoods? Mm-hmm. And the the borough presidents really just had had no power. He would say, you know, this would be so great. Why don't we do this? Mm-hmm. And if they said yes, then it really went very smoothly. But if not, he would kind of put it forward to the press like, oh, well, this person's standing in the way mm-hmm. of progress and progress. having this done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This would benefit you so much, but your borough president doesn't want this. Right. So he, the borough president, which actually knows generally a lot about where he's from mm-hmm. would know that you know if you, maybe if you build this highway here you're totally going to isolate this neighborhood from yeah. the shopping area mm-hmm. where if you just built it like two blocks over you're not going to really affect the neighborhood right. moses doesn't care mm-hmm. and he doesn't care to learn he doesn't he doesn't even discuss this he's like no this is where it's going this, this is, is where i want be. it and this is where it's going to be mm-hmm. um and and like I said, he would really just go to the press and say, this person, your, you know, your, your borough president is stepping in the way of, of this being built and there are more jobs coming and mm-hmm. the press and the people would really pressure their borough president then to accept this. Even if in the end, a small neighborhood said, no, this is bad for us. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, even the mayor would jump on Moses' side mm-hmm. and, you'd have to cave to all of this, which I think now is why the borough president really is a bit of a fig- figurehead as far as, hmm. as I'm, I know. I mean, I love Marty Markowitz. I like him. He might listen to our podcast. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how I feel, Mr. Markowitz. I need to look at your record, to be perfectly honest. I'm I'm happy to see him at my local Greenlight bookstore at the opening or okay. the opening of an envelope, but he... um. I don't know what he does. I don't think he does anything besides take his wife to Europe on the city's dime. But you don't know what he does. No, I don't All think right. he does anything. I mean, you they don't used know to. What he does? Okay, I don't know, but I, I would, I do know that, I do know that post Robert Moses, the the position held a lot less power than it yeah, used to. This sense. is something he does. He comes along, sees a job he likes, and kind of takes the power away from. The person mm-hmm, mm-hmm, in charge. Mm-hmm. Just really, the last thing I'd say is that R- Moses is not really ever accountable to the public. Yeah. Until his fall. So, Kathleen, what is it that brings him down? Oh, okay. To find out, stay tuned for the exciting conclusion in Robert Moses Part Two. Bye, everyone. Bye. For more ABC Gotham, go to our website, abcgotham.podbean.com. Special thanks to Podcasting's Brock. The music for ABC Gotham is by Big Rude Jake. ABC Gotham is a K2 production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. with me on this night of New York City.